10th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 10, verse 1, starting at verse 1. We're going to read two portions out of this chapter. But John chapter 10, verse 1 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And the stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable, it's a parable, it's important we understand that. It's a, it's a real-life situation that has a spiritual application. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. And then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. And moving down a little further in the chapter to verse 23. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? Why are you leaving this open-ended? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because ye are not of my sheep as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Bless the Lord. I spent some time on this subject, this concept, recently with our ministry development group, but I felt led of the Lord to bring some of these uh, thoughts to the church as a whole. And so I'm going to preach this morning for the sake of having a title on voice lessons. Voice lessons. Amen. When someone is identified as having a good voice, often in their youth, particularly a good singing voice, they may be encouraged to take voice lessons to assist them in the process of learning how to use that voice more effectively. Sometimes they're taught such things. I've never had lessons because nobody identified that talent. But sometimes they're taught such things as breathing more effectively when you sing, as um, 
different techniques that can help you to reach the high notes or to reach the low notes and how to project your voice. But what we fail to realize sometimes is that being able to sing well is often directly connected with being able to hear well. The two are connected one to another. Some of you have had that wonderful experience of being in a choir or in some sort of a singing group and there being a person or maybe multiple persons in that group whose musical talent is enthusiasm and not necessarily the ability to sing. I'm glad today that the Bible says make a joyful noise and that the psalmist didn't say, oh, magnify the Lord in key, but he said, magnify the Lord with me. So sometimes we can just make a joyful noise. Not all of us should sing on our own. That's a revelation for some of us, but not everybody should sing publicly. Some of you know who I'm talking to. When I was very early in the church, when my mother came into Pentecost, there was a family that I remember that had a whole bunch of kids, and there was one son in that family that loved to sing, that really loved to sing. Everybody knew he loved to sing. We didn't have speakers and drums and a lot of instruments that could cover a lot of the singing, and so everybody heard this young man's voice, and he had enthusiasm, but he could not sing. And I remember that, and it's more than 30 years ago. I remember being in a choir in Townsville, in a youth choir we used to have, and there was a young man, wonderful young man, wonderful. Now he's grown up to be a minister, serving the Lord. But I remember having to stand next to him and try to find discreet ways to put my finger over my ear so that he didn't lead me astray. I had enough trouble staying in the harmony as it was. I didn't need anybody leading me off track. But he, it wasn't Brother Gavin, in case you're wondering. He, he, he has a good voice. He was there, but he is not the guilty party. Amen. You know, you may have noticed that when we describe somebody who doesn't really have an ability to sing, we don't often speak about the fact they have a bad voice, but we say they are tone deaf. Their hearing, their ability or their lack of ability to be able to hear the right note and to hear the melody and, or the harmony, whatever it is they're trying to achieve, is hindering their ability to sing because they cannot discern what they're hearing. It's impacting what they're singing. You see this example, those of you that have children and, or young people that wear headphones. You ever hear somebody sing when they're wearing headphones? They may have a great singing voice, but when they put headphones in and they sing along with what they're hearing, it sounds terrible. And the reason for that is they can't hear themselves. Now, if they had the headphones out and the music was playing through a speaker somewhere, they could possibly sing along and sound wonderful. But when you put those headphones in and you can't hear your own voice and you begin to sing, you may have experienced somebody saying, please stop that. Because you can't hear yourself. And in our text in John chapter 10, Jesus spoke of people who were his sheep and people who were not his sheep. Divided them very clearly into two groups. And what determined if they were his sheep or not was not their social status. It wasn't which tribe of Israel they came from. It wasn't their age. It wasn't their gender. It wasn't whether or not they were highly educated or they were uneducated or they were tradespeople or whatever it was. None of that was relevant. 
What determined whether or not they were his sheep was whether or not they heard his voice, they knew his voice, and they followed him. Those are the things that are listed that qualify them when he says, my sheep. To be in that group, you had to hear the voice of Jesus. You had to be known of him and to know him and to follow him when he leads. Amen. You see, our minds have an incredible ability. The, the human mind is still something that science struggles to be able to really quantify. They're able to talk about different aspects of what our brains can do, but our minds are still, it seems a bit of a, a, a paradox, but our minds are hard for our minds to understand. But our minds have the ability to record almost every single thing that we hear. We have a subconscious that things uh, are recorded into. Now, you can't always bring out those recordings, but they go in. Advertising, voices, music, it's all going into that recording system. That's why sometimes you'll hear something weeks or months later and there's something about it that is familiar. You can't always recall exactly what it is, but it's because your mind recognizes that at some time in the past you heard it before. Your mind is a very powerful thing. We don't always, we don't always have the ability to retrieve and replay the recordings in our minds because some of them are very brief and we don't attach importance to them. But there are things in our minds that we play repeatedly. They're on a loop. And whether we like it or not, those things come out of us when we sing. I can use that term for the example today. And we've got to be careful of what it is that's playing again and again in our minds. In the book of James, the writer in the third chapter, speaking, teaching and writing about the tongue. You know, that's a chapter I don't like to read. Because every time I read that chapter, I realize I still have a lot of work to do. But he talks about the power of the tongue. He's not talking about that lump of muscle in your mouth, but it's talking about your voice, the things that you say. And James says that out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. He says that a fountain, he said, can a fountain send forth sweet water and bitter water at the same place? He said, no, obviously it can't. He said, if there's cursing and blessing coming out of our mouth, he said, these things ought not to be so. Shouldn't be like that. But there because of what happens and the things we retain, you listen to something. It goes in. You know, I did a little bit of research and with certain forms of, of mental illness, people can experience what the experts call auditory hallucinations or what we might better understand as hearing voices in our heads. What I found interesting in the little bit of research I did, so if you're more qualified, you can correct me, but that a large percentage of people who experience auditory hallucinations or voices in their heads can point to a traumatic event in their life that after that, the voices started. Something that they experienced, possibly something, some form of abuse or some form of of trauma, and it is that point that they can look at and say, it was after that experience that I began to have this, these auditory hallucinations. They began to hear the voices in their heads. And I have observed a very similar principle in people that walk with God. Sometimes there is an event, a trauma, an offense, an unresolved issue, and it can dramatically change what they hear in their minds 
or in their spirit, and it changes their voice. The things that come out of them are affected by that event when it is not ministered unto. Amen. They still look like the other members of the choir. They still know the words of the song. They still know when they're supposed to come in and when they're supposed to fade out. But when they open their mouth, something is not right because of what is being played over and over again. You know, you cannot control everything that you hear. It's not possible, particularly in an age where audiovisual is such a huge part of our society. You can't control what goes in, but you can control what you replay over and over and over. Now, there is somebody that lives in my house, so that narrows it down, that really likes the music from Disney movies and listens to them again and again and again, sometimes on headphones, sometimes out loud, sometimes singing them through the house. So whether or not I choose to, I hear these things. And it affects me whether or not I want it to. I find myself walking down my hallway to my office carrying a cup of coffee and humming Disney songs. And God forbid, sometimes even singing them. I do not want to live under the sea and I do not want to build a snowman. But I hear these things. And they get stuck in that recorder in my mind. And because I am assaulted with them on a regular basis, I have to pray and ask the Lord to help me. Amen. But Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. It requires more than an occasional random interaction with the voice of God to become one of his flock. You've got to submit yourself to the voice of God regularly, again and again. It needs to be the preeminent voice that plays in your mind if you're going to hear it. Luke chapter 4. The Lord came to that. Let's turn there. Luke 4 and 16. Luke 4 and 16 says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Even God manifest in the flesh went to church. That ought to tell us something. And stood up for to read. It was customary that different ones could read the scripture. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. They didn't give him a Bible. They gave him a book. You might think that's random selection, but God was ordaining what was happening. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. I believe it's Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the minister and sat down. The Bible says the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. There was something about the way he read. There was something about this carpenter's son that they had known as a young man. But when he stood up and when he took the word of God in his... You see, what they did not understand was that the God that was manifest in the flesh standing in the synagogue 
was the same God that hundreds of years before had anointed Isaiah to take his pen and not really understand, but prophetically write, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's why when he read the book, there was something different about the way he read Scripture. Hallelujah. And then he said in verse 21, And he began to say unto them, This day, pay attention to this, this day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. We, I would think he would say, I'm the fulfillment of that Scripture. Look at me. But he said it's fulfilled in your ears. He didn't say you're seeing it. He said you're hearing it. He said it's got to go in. What he was saying was, if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to understand that this is more than just a, a verse and a passage of Scripture that is centuries old, but right here today in this synagogue, it is being fulfilled. If you are willing to hear, you are going to be able to experience something amazing, something that you never thought you could understand if you're willing to hear. That challenge still goes out to all of humanity today. If you will hear His voice, if you will harden not your heart, if you will respond to the Word of God, you can take access to something that will blow your mind. But only if you're willing to hear. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, famous for being one of the first martyrs in the New Testament church, preaching a wonderful message to those people that are, that are challenging him, that are trying to accuse him of false doctrine. And he begins to get excited. It doesn't say it in the Scripture, but I believe he was getting a bit of passion in his voice. He was getting a bit excited as he led those elders through their national history right up to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he got to the end of it. He said, I, he see, I see heaven open and Jesus, the Son of Man, standing on the right hand of God. And the Bible says, and they stopped their ears. Whether they put their fingers in or they put their hands over their ears, they would not listen. And we look at them and we think, wow, that's terrible. But it, the same principle applies to us. We have to be willing to hear the voice of God. Amen. We have to be. When Jesus said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And if you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, if you will hear his voice, if you will allow his word to speak to you, he is able to change your life. He is able to turn your life around. He's able to shack, to break the chains, to break addictions, to wash away your sin, to fill you with His Spirit if you will hear His voice. So how do I hear the voice of God? Does He speak audibly to people? Yes, He does, but it's rare. It's possibly not something we would consider the norm. Sometimes we use the expression, God spoke to me and Really what we mean is we felt an impression in our spirit from the Lord. It's like the Lord's impressed something upon us. I do believe that there are times God does speak audibly. We see it in Old and New Testaments. But God's primary form of communication with mankind is the Word of God. It is His Word. That's how you hear His voice. And if you do not know the Word of God, if you do not spend time in the Word of God, then don't expect to hear from God. If you're praying, God, speak to me, and your Bible is never opened, you're not going to hear from God because nine times out of ten, He's going to speak to you out of His written word or out of His preached word. You have to be willing to hear His voice. 
And I don't want to offend anybody, but people who think that the Spirit of God speaks to them but do not know the Word of God are on very unstable ground. Because if you don't have some kind of a reference point, if you don't have something where you can say, is this of God, to measure that against, you have no idea who it is that speaks to you. Because you're trusting your heart, you're trusting your emotions and what you feel. And people get all spiritual, say, well, God showed me this and God showed me that. Is it in the Scripture? Because if it's not, it wasn't God. Because God will never contradict His own Word. Amen. That's why in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, the apostle wrote and he said, Believe not every spirit. He said, Try the spirits to find out whether or not they're of God. The Bible says that even the devil himself can appear as an angel of light. So if you haven't got a rock, if you don't have a reference point, you can be deceived very easily. Even Jesus, when the devil came against him, said, It is written. It is written. Every temptation, it is written. He was able to come back with Scripture to be able, because he was able to try that spirit and to know that it was not of God. Amen. You see, the chapter divisions in the Word of God sometimes are deceiving because we think that the point stops and starts a new one, but it doesn't always work that way. Because the very last verse of 1 John 3, he said this, he said, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. Hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He has given us. There's a connection between the commandments or the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The very next verse is the one that says, Don't believe every spirit, but try them. How do we try them? With the Word of God. Hallelujah. Too many, you know, people are always, you get people that want to sound spiritual, and I'm not being unkind. Oh, well, God told me this, and God showed me that. Show me something that supports that from the Word of God. You know, sometimes people are making big decisions in their lives and they come to you as a pastor and they'll, if they say, if somebody says to me, God told me, I have nothing to say. Because if God told you, that's the ultimate authority. But you better make sure it was God that told you. Because too often people make that statement based upon the fact that they're saying, what I have to say outranks any advice that you might be able to give me. But when I read the Word of God, He gave us leaders and ministers and pastors to give us guidance and correction. But people come and say, well, God told me this. Okay. I can't fight with God. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's go there together. I love the epistles of Timothy. There's epistles to Timothy, rather, from the Apostle Paul. There's so much instruction for us to, to hang on to. And, and there's also a lot of warnings about things we need to be aware of. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant. In season and out of season. Be consistent. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Now, a lot of people want to be blessed, but there are three words there. There's reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Two are negative. One's positive. Think about that for a while. Verse 3 says, For the time will come 
when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Paul said, this is what's going to happen. And when he wrote that, he wasn't saying on the street because that was already happening on the street. Paul was saying these are things that will threaten the church of God. That there will be people that don't want to hear sound doctrine anymore, but there's something in their ears that's itching for something else. That wants something else that will satisfy their own perspective. You see, if, if these things were going to happen, what difference did it make what Timothy preached? But Paul is warning the young man and he's saying, don't change the message based on what people want to hear. He said, even if it's unpopular, he said, preach the word. Be instant, in season, and out of season. Amen. And again, we see a really poorly placed chapter division here because the end of chapter 3 is all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished under all good works. You want to hear from God? Get into the Word of God. Get into the house of God. Find yourself in a church that preaches the Word of God, that doesn't compromise, that is still instant, in season and out of season. Hallelujah. It's ironic that not one of us would declare that we are perfect, but yet at the same time, none of us like the Word of God to correct us. It's this weird paradox, if I can use that word, that we're all saying, well, I've got a long way to go. God's still working on me. He's changing me and He's molding me, and that's true. But when the Word of God says, well, let's cut this out, we don't... Well, if you need to be changed... You've got to be willing to allow the Word of God to operate. My sheep, hear my voice. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. The voices that we listen to and the relationships that we have play a really big part in who we are and who we become. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33 says this, it says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now that's King James English. We, you know, we, we think, most of us, when you think of good manners, that, you know, we think of things like, you know, put your knife and fork together on the plate when you're finished. You know, you know wash your hands before dinner, say please and say thank you. But the Apostle Paul's not really interested in whether or not the Corinthian church washes their hands before dinner. It's not something that bothers him. A more modern translation says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. That gives a bit more weight to understanding that verse. I don't really think Paul cares about whether you belch at the table or you don't. It might have been acceptable. There are some cultures where that's a good thing. But the thing is this, who you listen to, the voices that you put on repeat, you can't control the ones that come in, but you can choose which ones you replay. And they affect who you become. They affect who you are. They, they affect your character. That's what the Bible said. That tells me that even if I've got good character, evil communications will corrupt the good character that I have. You have good character, there's no guarantee it stays that way unless you look after it, unless you protect it 
unless you preserve it the way God would have you to. Amen. Bless the Lord. So how, if I need to have good voices in my life, how do I choose those voices? Very important. The people that you listen to, the people that you allow yourself to become close to. When I, when I say listen to, I don't mean the casual conversation. How you doing? How was your day? How's work? How's the dog? That's not what I'm talking about. The people whose voices you allow to influence your character, who are involved in fashioning the person that you are and the person that you're becoming. Those people should have a positive, encouraging, and strengthening effect on the following three relationships. This is what I taught the ministry team a bit. The first and obviously the most important relationship is your relationship with God. That is the preeminent relationship in any of our lives. That's more important than your marriage. In fact, a better relationship with God will contribute to a better marriage. That's how it works. You know, sometimes, sometimes we've possibly been guilty in the past of talking about our priorities and saying, God, family, church. It's not a totem pole. It's a circle. God is the center of that and everything else comes from that, that central point. And that's where we focus. All of our other relationships come from that bullseye, if you like. So people that are, you should be willing to allow to influence you should encourage you to trust the Lord. They should, they should build up your faith. They should help you to find strength in His Word. They should be willing to pray for you. They should be willing to take your situations to the Lord when they pray. You should always leave their presence reminded that God is able, that He will never fail you. They should love truth, and they should have a good relationship with the Lord. They need to be a good example in that regard. Amen. The second relationship, and this one's not so popular in the current church culture, that is very important is your relationship with your pastor. You're talking about who's going to influence you. People should always encourage you to trust your pastor, to go to your pastor, to increase your confidence in your pastor, to make you want to work with your pastor. And they should have a good relationship with your pastor. Not because he's perfect, but because of the importance of the office that God has put them in. That's what it's about. Amen. Talking about the voices that influence us. Your relation, the third one is your relationship with the church. No church is perfect. Just as no person is perfect. As long as we are not perfect, we are a collection of the church. We, we talked about recently about how the word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means those that are called out. And as long as God keeps calling imperfect people together to make his church, it's going to be an imperfect church. If, if, if your mission when you come to the house of God is to find fault, you will succeed every single service. But you'll get nothing out of that, except you'll get bent out of shape. Amen. Bless the Lord. No church is perfect. But to belong to an apostolic church with all its flaws, is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. And the voices in your life should make you feel that way. Amen. They should encourage you to love the church, to love your brothers and sisters, to be faithful to the house of God, to get behind whatever is happening in the church, even if it's not your favorite color or flavor. Get behind it anyway. And they should be demonstrating the same things in their own lives. You know, it's kind of crazy, but when people that are in the church 
criticize the church. It's like drilling a hole in the bottom of a boat that you're standing in. It's like, trust me, the ark was messy and noisy and smelly, but nobody was taking an axe to the bottom of that thing. As that thing tossed, as it was tossed to and fro in that incredible flood, and slowly but surely the screams of desperate humanity faded into silence outside that thing, nobody was hacking a hole in the bottom of that boat. Except maybe the woodpecker. Maybe they put a cork on the end of its beak, I don't know some sort of safety mechanism to stop it from making a hole. But if you're in this thing, the church is God's vehicle. It is His vessel to get us into eternity with Him. Why would you be drilling a hole in the bottom? Amen. If there's something wrong, patch it up. Get involved and say, can I help to strengthen this? Can I help to do something? Rather than saying, we're all going to drown. Bless the Lord. If the people whose voices that you hear, when I say hear, understand I'm talking about not just the audible sound, I'm talking about that you receive into your spirit. Those people are not ticking those three boxes. Your relationship with God, your relationship with the man of God, and your relationship with the people of God. If they're tearing any of those down, you need to put some distance. book of Proverbs lets us know that there are things that God hates. It's amazing. God is love, but there's a whole list of things that he hates. And part of that list includes he that soweth discord among the brethren. Anybody that's trying to bring division. You know, you think about, we're still using the shipping analogy. Mutiny is not a good idea. You divide the crew, the ship can be in all kinds of trouble. In Romans chapter 16, the Apostle Paul, toward the end of the chapter, verses 17 and 18, we won't go there for the sake of time, but Paul said, he said, I beseech you, brethren. That word beseech has a strength and an urgency to it. Mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. That's what it says. Because it goes on to say they don't serve the Lord, they're serving themselves. They're serving their own agenda. They've got fancy speeches, that's what it says. Good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. We're talking about voice lessons. We need to remember this because it's very, very important. It's going to make a difference to whether you finish this race on the good side or on the bad side. Amen. See, sometimes we, out of the good motive of our heart, we misunderstand the right way to approach these things. Because we, we feel like they're our brother and our sister and that we love them. We should care for them, and you should. We ought to love one another. We ought to care for one another. That's biblical. That's not negotiable. So if you've got a problem with somebody here, don't glance sideways. But if there's somebody here you're struggling with, your attitude towards and your relationship with, you need to ask God to help you. Give him a bit more of you. A bit more of him, sorry, and a bit less of you. Because it is not negotiable. The two commandments upon which the entire Old Testament law hangs. Love God with everything that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. But sometimes we think and we fall into the trap that we can help our brother who's unfortunately singing a song that we shouldn't be listening to. We want to help them. And the mistake that we make 
is that we think that helping them is to care for them, to be nice to them, and to spend time with them. Your motive is good. Your understanding is poor. Forgive me if I'm a bit direct. Because I'm, Again, to clarify, I'm not talking about somebody who has a bad day and complains about something. All of us do that, me included. All of us have those days where we think, what is the pastor doing? He's lost the plot. What is the youth leader doing? I wish he would be more whatever. Or whatever leader you want to put in. We all have those days where we get our, our attitudes overwhelm us a bit. The Lord is merciful. I'm glad he is. Because if every time you had a bad attitude, he got rid of us, there'd be none of us here. I'm not talking about a bad day. I'm not talking about going through a hard time. But I'm talking about when somebody has a repeated pattern of singing a song of criticism and condemnation and tearing down. Here's the problem. When people do that, when they criticize those three relationships, God, pastor, and church, and you sit there with them, drinking coffee at their table and, and putting your arm around them, thinking that you're caring with them, but you say nothing. There's two things that are happening. Number one, your silence endorses their opinions. You're silently agreeing with them and feeding their problem. And number two, your own spirit is becoming slowly poisoned with the toxic words that are coming out of their mouths. And whether you want to or not, just like those Disney songs, you can't shake them off because you allow yourself to be submitted to that again and again and again. And you walk out of their house or that coffee shop or the house of God, God forbid, and you find yourself humming the same song. Even though you know it's not a good song, You'll be singing the same song. And what happens, you see, the Bible says the devil is subtle. And you'll end up endorsing and joining their opinion. So what do we do? If you're visiting with us, this is maybe not as evangelistic. Come back tonight, Brother Peter's preaching. I'll be evangelistic. But if they are your friend, if there's somebody that you care about as a brother or sister, if there's somebody that you want to see make it to heaven, if you love them, you need to sit down with them and lovingly, not harshly, but lovingly and gently say, bro or sister, whatever the case may be, it's not right to be talking like this. It's not good for us to be sitting here being critical and being judgmental or whatever it might be. The, thing, the song that you're singing needs to change. Now, if they will listen to you, you may have saved their soul. But if they will not listen, there comes a point where you have to draw a line in the sand and say, I cannot fellowship with this music anymore because of the impact it is going to have upon me. Amen. Now, you might think that's harsh, but you're also sending them a strong message. I love you. I care for you, but my soul matters too much. Galatians 6 and 1, the Apostle Paul said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... You which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We read that verse, and sometimes our focal point is, I want to have a right attitude and care for them. And that's good. But the instruction is to restore them. That means there's some, somehow they've got to be brought back to where they're supposed to be. Something's gone wrong, something is broken, something's been out of shape, and if we love them with the spirit of meekness, we go and say, hey, bro, let's get this back where it needs to be. Because it is an illusion to think that because I love them, I won't say anything to them. They stay in that 
if they stay playing that track, they're going to get further and further away from God, and it may cost them their soul. That's not how you love your brethren. That's not real love. Amen. And I'm coming to a close. In the book of Galatians, we read a very interesting statement in chapter 2 and verse 11. Let's turn there together. We've got a little bit of time. This is a New Testament example of how you deal with somebody that's maybe got some things out of line. Paul is writing, Galatians 2 and 11, and he said, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Peter had a problem. Like all of the Jews, Peter grew up believing that they were God's chosen people, that everybody that wasn't a Jew was of a lower quality of humanity. And that was built into their psyche. That was built into their culture. My wife, some years ago, was doing some teachers aid work at a, I think it was a preschool class, and there was a little boy in that class of a particular ethnicity that I will not name, although I don't think there's anybody from that ethnicity here. And that, it was that little boy's birthday. And, and I don't know if it was my wife or his teacher said to him, oh, are you having any of your friends from, from preschool to, to come for your birthday party? And that little boy very indignantly said, these people are not from the same country as me. I'm not having these people at my birthday party. These people are beneath me. He was only four or five years old. But he'd been conditioned to believe that his people were the best people. And Peter and all the other Jews had the same conditioning. And so even though Peter went to Cornelius' house and he saw the Holy Ghost fall on that house and all those Romans and their families filled with the Spirit speaking of the tongues, Peter's mind was changing a lot slower than the kingdom of God was. And so there came a point while Peter was down there, he's hanging out with Cornelius, they're having coffee together and doing a home Bible study, but some Jews came from Jerusalem. And Peter went, I can't be seen with these people. And he slipped out of that Roman's house and went down to his local kosher grocery store and got himself something to eat down there instead. And because of that struggle and the fact that he was still coming to terms with that, Paul said, I withstood him to the face. He was to be blamed. He was wrong. His attitude wasn't right. This is the Apostle Peter. This is the man that stood up in Acts chapter 2 and preached that first salvation message and gave the early church the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The spokesman for the, the first church in the first century. Paul, his brother, didn't say, well, I love him and he's just growing and he needs a little time. Paul said, Peter, your attitude's foul. He said, you're wrong. You're going to do damage if you don't sort this out. You're going to cause division in this church. We got Jews, we got Gentiles. Unless you sort your attitude out, you're going to tear this church apart. That's what Paul did. Now, it doesn't record Peter's reaction. But the glimpse that we're given of Peter's personality is that I imagine Peter got a little bit in a huff, got his neck all stiff. Who does he think he is talking to me like that? I am the Apostle Peter. Oh, this Johnny come lately. He wasn't there with Jesus. He threw my brothers and sisters into prison. Who does he think he is? I promise you Peter had a little bit of an attitude problem. For maybe, I don't know for how long. But, you know, I know that Peter got over it. 
because later on in Peter's epistles, he writes endorsing the Apostle Paul's epistles. And he talks about our brother Paul and about the letters that he wrote. And so somewhere along the way, with a bit of time and a bit of prayer, Peter realized that Paul was right. You see, we read over that, but Paul's willingness to say the hard things possibly saved souls. Because that New Testament church was being fashioned together out of two pieces that had never fit together before. Jews and Gentiles clean and unclean but the bible says that he's broken down the middle wall and he's made of these two one god said it doesn't matter if you're jew or greek male or female bond or free god had already wiped all that aside but peter and the others were a bit slower coming on board and it could have caused all kinds of trouble in that first century church but paul said peter you're my brother it doesn't read down i'm hoping paul said that i love you but he said bro You're out of line. Your attitude's wrong. And he helped to restore his brother. See, we live in a time where nobody wants to say anything to anybody about anything. We're in a day where if you have a different opinion, it's hate speech. That's what our society is teaching us. We believe in free speech. We believe in freedom of choice as long as you don't disagree. That's not even compatible. That doesn't even make sense. But that's the age that we live in. You can say whatever you want and you can have freedom. Just don't criticize me. And anything, anything that you speak about that is contrary or controversial is automatically deemed to be hate speech. No, it's just having an opinion, standing up for something that's right. We've got to be careful. We don't allow that uber-tolerant spirit to come into the house of God. The Bible says that judgment begins at the house of God. It's not about being harsh. It's about we love you. We want you to get to heaven. Bless the Lord. Let's stand together.